internet, Mike and Andy here live from the world headquarters of Vox, the traveling show now nestled safely in the bosom of downtown Fullerton in a place called Monkey Business Cafe with a live audience. Uh, when Woo, you hear say this, hello. when you hear this, yep, yep, we have paid them all to be here. And uh, so that's very exciting. They, uh, they, they, I don't know how this exactly worked, Andy. We, we, we advertised this, right? You advertised this, and then they signed up, and they showed up. Yeah, and we used was, all the Patreon money to pay them to was, come here. That, okay, now that's the thing. If you're, if, <laughs> if, I know we talk about our supporters, but our supporters paid for Coors Light tonight. I want you to understand, the, the, there are people so committed to the cause of Jesus in the world that they have given money so that we could be here and we could hand out free Coors Light. All right? I just think that is... That is amazing. Uh, we've also got Izzy Ray um, uh, here. Now, is that some new stuff? You've got a, you've got a new, new album coming out, right? Uh, and uh, is it true that you wrote a song that was inspired by my leadership? Is that true? <laughs> okay, she's not, I don't think she's saying that. Okay, so, um, so first of all, we wanna say thank you to our, our supporters who paid for this and who allow us to do this for free. Thank, for, thank you to our live audience who um, has driven up to downtown Fullerton or just stumbled in regardless. And uh, we're thrilled that you would be here, seriously. It's amazing, amazing. I've been looking forward to this all day. Um, and uh, who's the oldest? Who's the oldest in the audience? I, I need to know that right now. Okay, so, so Chris, how old are you? 64, Jonathan? 64. 55? No, you're not even close. Not even close. All right, can anyone top 64? Okay, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Yes, well done. <laughs> and youngest uh, in the back sipping some Coors Light, Brooklyn uh, is, uh, how old are you, Brooklyn? How old are you, 13? Fantastic. Way to go, Mom. Uh, really proud of you. Um, and uh, so anyway, we're, we're super excited. We've also got a crew listening on Facebook. And, uh, and then obviously the rest of you will hear this. We're recording this on a Thursday. You will hear this on a Monday. Now, we're at a place called Monkey Business Cafe, which, um, which despite its, you know, kind of evocative sounding title, is uh, great because monkey business, I mean, I always, you know, I grew up hearing that as kind of a euphemism um, for you know, monkey business. And, um, and so when I first heard there was a place called Monkey Business Cafe, I was like, oh, it's kind of an internet dating site sort of thing. No, all right, so if you're, in, if you're in Orange County, California, you need to come visit this place because what they do, it's owned by and run by folks who are committed to uh, helping kids in foster care. And uh, there are kids that are, have, been, um, have been out of the foster care system or they've, they're still in the foster care system and they, they, don't, they haven't yet learned life skills. Monkey Business hires those kids from group homes, teaches them how to fill out an application, how to have a job, how to work real hours. Um, and so a part of what you spend here goes to that. Um, so we're super pumped to be a part of that. It's incredible, incredible food, great vibe. And here we are. Now, Andy, you wanna say hello? Hi. Thank you, Andy. Now, um, <laughs> we are, <laughs> so, so here's the thing. So, so there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of people worried about me 
um, a lot of people expressing, you know, camaraderie in the uh, in the uh, the fatness, and um, and so so I, this is a clonopin free episode. Um, however, I'm not sure how Coors Light interacts with the uh, the heart medication I'm on. So we'll see. We'll kind of see how this goes. All right. So if you just hear if you just hear this kind of electric sort of shock, you'll know I kind of keeled over and and uh, and what a way to go. Yeah, what a way to go. Recording a podcast, having, having had a Coors Light. All right, now, tonight, or whenever it is that you're listening to this, um, we want to talk a bit about um, a subject we started, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, a couple of podcasts ago, called The Way of Resistance. We want to talk about the subject of power, um, which, b- believe it or not, in all of its iterations, it is unbelievably relevant uh, to so many of the conversations we have and, and a subject of much, much confusion. And so just to reiterate, um, when we talk about the wave resistance, we're not referring to resisting any particular governmental administration. This is true whether Hillary would have won or Barack would have gotten a third term or Trump is in power or whatever. But, but there seems to be so much confusion about how it is we're to be in the middle of the chaos that now is the United States of America and, uh, and Facebook and Twitter and social media and all those sorts of things. So I wanna spend a little time talking about power and then we're gonna take some questions um, from our uh, bold audience who will be willing to uh, put themselves onto the internet uh, for perpetuity and, um, and, and hopefully sound relatively intelligent doing it. Um, and if no, one, if no one says anything, um, Andy, you can pretend uh, to ask questions. Okay. Kind of like normal. Now, <laughs> when we talk about power, um, and, and just imagine, if you're, if, you're, if you're hearing this like three or four days later, just imagine that you've traveled, you've gotten dressed, you've traveled to Fullerton, and you're, you're seeing this live, and this is what you chose to do. Just so, just to, to whatever degree you're thinking this is horrible, just imagine that you actually showed up for a live taping of this. I mean, that's the thing that's amazing. Now, um, there are three things, uh, there are three kinds of people that I think tune in uh, to the podcast. And, um, and one group, I think, are, are Jesus followers, and they're committed to the way of Jesus and, and interested in, in talking about sort of the real relevant issues of the day. I think there are a lot of people in another category that are kind of maybe refugees of Jesus culture yeah. or mm-hmm. uh, evangelical culture or, um, or Jesus himself. They're just kind of out in that stage three sort of place. And then I think there are people who are very, very far, they would identify themselves as very, very far away from faith, from a church community or whatever. And, um, and so it's always interesting to think about topics like this with all three of those audiences, you know, in mind. Yeah. So, so, so just for the record, we're going to do a little, just a little Bible because Jesus has some really interesting things to say about power that aren't very often reflected in his followers. Shocking, shockingly, I know. Um, so there's one conversation. His, uh, the thing I love is that, oh, thank you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because it's live, my, my towel needs, needs uh, some use. Um, now, Jesus has this really interesting dynamic with his followers. His followers, and this gives me such great hope, Andy Bear. 
his followers were just a complete train wreck. I mean, his initial like group of 12, like if you're at a, if you're at a disciple draft party, you know, in the fall <laughs> and you're doing a fantasy draft. I mean, yeah. these are, these are literally the kickers of your fantasy <laughs> disciple league. I mean, the, the, you know, these guys are crazy. I mean, only one had a pedigree and he turned out to be the traitor. Ray uh, Finkel. The rest of them. Yeah. Ray Finkel would probably be who? Is that a hockey player? No, is that a? Is that it a was player? kicker from the Miami Dolphins in Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy Bear, bringing bringing value and cultural awareness. <laughs> so glad the millennial perspective is uh, is represented. <laughs> of course. Oh my lord. Okay, so Ray Finkel, um, so the, the Ray Finkels of Palestine, evidently yes. would have been. Uh, so these guys were just, I mean, just ridiculous. So. In Matthew's account, two of them, brothers, have their mom, okay? Their mom asks Jesus, hey, um, when you do the big Messiah kingship thing, can my boy sit, you know, next to you, you know? I mean, your mom. I mean, and I, I'm a fan of moms, and it's a total mom thing, but I mean, how, just kind of how weird is that? Yeah. And, and so, so Jesus, you know, I, and I, don't, I, I can't even picture the look he has on his face, like, really? Um, he, he says, I'm not really sure you know what you're asking. And, and then the 10 disciples hear about the request and they're totally ticked off at, at these two clowns and their mom. And, uh, and then Jesus says this incredible thing. It's, it's very famous, but Jesus introduces a distinction between the way power works in his kingdom and the way power works in the world. He says, um, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, Lord it over them, that phrase, over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave or servant. Just as the Son of Man, a, a messianic title for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus has this interesting thing. And, and one scholar puts it this way. He says, there's a difference here between power over someone, right? And, and Jesus uses this phrase, the Gentiles lord it over, the rulers have power over. So there's, there's power over, which is the power to coerce, the power to control, the power to manage and manipulate. And then he contrasts that with whoever's going to be greatest must be your servant. Kind of mm -hmm. power under yeah. is the distinction he makes. Power over versus power under. Um, another example of this is uh, Jesus uh, gets betrayed. He gets arrested. And I love, I mean, I love Jesus gets, there are times when Jesus kind of bleeds a little cocky, you know, I'm mean, yeah. just like in a godly sort of cockiness. <laughs> this is, this is, this is one of those. I just think it's, I think it's so awesome. So, um, so some men came to arrest Jesus and, um, and uh, with that, one of Jesus's companions reached for his sword. He drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So we find out that's Peter, and Peter, Peter's not very good with a sword. I think we can all agree, right? I'm not sure. Maybe Peter did not have a lot of practice as a fisherman, but if, I'm not, I don't think he was aiming to cut the ear off. Let's just, let's just put it I that way. I guess that's the difference, because if he was aiming, I mean, that's pretty darn accurate. Yeah, I, there's no way. Maybe he was okay. going for the head. I have no idea. Okay. But he, he, he nicked the ear. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and so Jesus, I mean, again, I mean, what, this is just such a, such a crazy thing. Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. 
And then, and here's a little, just a little like, just to be clear who's running this show. Jesus says, do you, know, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, a legion was 6,000. So he's using a Roman term against Roman officials. And he's like, so by my math, and my wife's here, she's a math teacher, which is an awful job to have. And uh, she teaches junior high kids math. I mean, you talk about two things that do not belong together uh, at all. Um, God bless her. God bless her. Maybe that prepared her for me. Um, but that seems like maybe 12 legions times 6,000. Seems like that's 72,000 angels. So Jesus, you know, can you just kind of see it? It's like, really, really, Peter, your sword? Really, the ear? Really, really? <laughs> just so we're clear. I've got like 72,000 angels I can call upon. Just, just so we're clear. And, and I love this. And he will, do you think I cannot call my father? He will once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? And so there's this interesting thing where Jesus, Jesus totally knows what power over looks like. It's the power of the sword, right? <laughs> so here's Peter. He's seeing his Messiah get, get uh, his rabbi get arrested. It's easy to trust in the power of the sword, which is power over. What's Jesus say? If you, if you rest in power over, power over will be your undoing. Instead, how then would my work be fulfilled if this is how it's going to go down? Yeah. Right? So, he, so it's, the, it's the contrast between power over, which is the power of the sword, and power under, which is the power of the cross. And I know this is sort of basic stuff, but, but once we get into the implications for what it means, for those, those of us who are in that first group and maybe a bit of the second group who are actually saying, no, 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 we want to identify as followers of Jesus, like that, 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 so, that so changes the way that we see power and its outworkings in the world. So. One other, one other instance where Jesus, so he meets with the governing Roman official, a guy named Pontius Pilate. And, and he has this incredible conversation with Pilate. And, and so, so Pilate asks him, so are you really king of the Jews? Which was this politically loaded phrase, of course. Um, and then Jesus, Jesus says, and he's so, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm reading into my own sort of snark into this, but he's kind of like, um, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? I mean, talk about not answering the question. Like, like uh, anyway, um, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And then Jesus contrasts these two kinds of power. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. So think about it. You've got power over, power of the sword, and it's the power of violence or power of coercion, the power of fighting. Make sense? You yeah. see those three that are connected yeah. in those three passages? Instead, he says, um, uh, I, to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, my servants would fight, but my kingdom is from another place. And then Jesus in another place says, no one takes my life, I give it willingly. So what you have is you have these two kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world, which operate by power over the power of the sword, the power of violence, the power of coercion. And you have this kingdom inaugurated by Jesus, which is the power of the cross. It's power under, it's the power of self-sacrificial love. It's the power of servantness. And these, and these two kingdoms are so um, contrasted throughout the ministry of, of Jesus. And, and so I just want to talk briefly about the difference between them as it plays out in the scriptures. And then I want to talk about how that, how that actually applies to us 
you know, 2,000 years later in, um, in a, a horribly divided America. Because right. you can see where this train's going, right? Yeah, for what sure. What power does the church love and adore? Right. Right? What power do Christians, what power are Christians known for? What is the national reputation uh, of evangelical Christians, right? We're known as a power over movement. We're known for having and wanting power over. We wed ourselves to certain candidates and policies to force our ways of looking at the world upon others. Now we'll get into how that works in a democracy, but, but you can see where the train's going, right? Christians, um, evangelicals in particular, have so bought into power over, we even run our churches that way. Yeah. Right? Churches, I mean, how, and, 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 and ah, okay, okay, we'll get to that now. <laughs> so Jesus has this really interesting thing. And then, and then he invites, when, when, when he says to his followers, take up your cross and follow me, I mean, he's inviting us, and Paul's even more clear when he says, hey, imitate Jesus. He's even more clear about, okay, the abandonment of the power of the sword. And the power of the sword, my brothers and sisters, doesn't mean violence. That's one example of the power of the sword. The power of, so of the sword is, is laws that are enforceable through violence. The power of the sword is control or domination or manipulation or coercion or bribery, right? That is all power over and that is all the power of the sword. It's all the power of threat. Jesus offers this completely different way. And the temptation we want to argue that Christians have is to think that somehow we can get the, the goals that Jesus had in mind through using the means of power over. And, and that is one of the greatest, most tragic sins of the American church. That for the sake of ends, we will grab a hold of any means without realizing that in so doing, if you grab the power of the sword, you lose the power of the cross. End of story. There is simply no way to follow Jesus and use power over people. There is no way. Yeah. Jesus can use you because he can use all sorts of asses. And I, and I mean donkeys uh, <laughs> in, that, in that specific context. Jesus can use anybody. But, but that's not the way of Jesus. So right. the way of resistance, and it doesn't matter who's in power. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. This is not a communist, socialist, uh, you know, capitalist thing. None of, that, none of that matters to this conversation. This is about finding Jesus followers who are actually willing to believe that self-sacrificial love and service is the most powerful force in the universe and willing to trust that even when their rabbi's getting arrested and it's easier to grab the sword. Yeah. Even when their moral agenda isn't being followed by those who don't even claim the name of Jesus and they want to grab the hold of legislation, right? It, it's, you see in our fear what we reach for. Yeah. None of us reach for the cross in our fear. We all reach for the sword in our fear. Yeah. And, and I am so weary of being identified with a movement that's known for that move out of its fear <laughs> rather than uh, the move that says, you know what? Jesus has never needed cultural privilege to do anything in the world. Right. I mean, if anything, the Bible is the story of how God always stacks um, the odds against God's self, just to show that it wasn't human beings that actually were doing the work. Right. All right? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm with now, you. All right, now listen. <laughs> People are staying awake. I couldn't tell for oh a while gosh. there. Was like, they kind of got glazed. They kind of got glazed <laughs> over. I got preachy a little bit. Yeah, a little right bit. In the of that. All right, now. Okay. You want anything to add? Uh, no, I mean, okay, I think I it's think just... Okay, so. I... All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're just such a sissy pacifist. Mike. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> Seriously. So, so just to just to be clear, the 
the, the, um, when Jesus walks on the face of the earth, and we've made this point before in our Jesus of Politics series, so forgive the repetition, but it, it kind of needs to be said to set up what's coming next. Jesus did not come to offer a better version of the kingdoms of the world. He did not come to offer a better way of doing power over. See, that's why I so object when people say God, God has predetermined who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. God has already decided there's no choice. It's irresistible. He's damned some. He's chosen others. It's all his will. I just don't see any of that in the life of Jesus even remotely. That's all power over, and that's not the power God has chosen to exercise. The power God exercises power under. How do we know that? Well, number one, when he creates human persons, he actually endows them with power to affect change, right? right. He says, so, you know, fill the earth, subdue the earth. Uh, um, uh, cultivate the earth, enrich the earth. I mean, and he gives them power to do that. But you see it obviously most manifestly with Jesus on the cross. That he, Jesus wasn't a victim. Jesus wasn't lonely. Jesus wasn't abused by his father. He, you know, his dad isn't up there angry going, I got to hit somebody. And Jesus is going, no, hit me instead. I mean, that is, Jesus is triumphant this whole way through, right? Yeah. When he says to Peter, he's like, dude, really? I don't need your sword. I got 12 freaking legions of angels. I don't need you. I mean, he's, he's letting the world in on the idea that he's no victim of circumstance here. He's doing this willingly. He's doing this triumphantly. He could have power over, but chooses power under, right? Yeah. Now, the thing, that, the thing that, that follows from that is that Jesus, I mean, think about who was following this guy. So you, 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 have, you have a guy named Matthew who's a tax collector. And tax collectors, we've talked about this, right? Tax collectors were hated. Tax collectors were Jews who had won bids to collect taxes from other Jews. Okay, they were, they were on a lower tier religiously than even Gentiles. I mean, it was like sinners and tax collectors is how the Gospels describe them. I mean, you could not find people considered more scummy than, than Jewish tax collectors, right? So one of, one of the, the, the people that follows Jesus in his inner circle, of course, is a guy named Matthew, Levi, um, who is a tax collector. And then we also read about a guy named Simon who was a zealot. Hmm. And zealots, one of the, what, the zealots were a very, very political. Zealots advocated armed revolt. So imagine your country was taken over by ISIS, all right? So imagine America's taken over by ISIS. This, this is what being dominated by Rome would feel like. Okay, Romans were terrorists. Do you understand that? Crucifixion was an act of terror against the Jewish population. So anybody who is collaborating with ISIS, who's American, you would hate, right, automatically when they're crucifying and beheading children and Christians, and you would, you would hate these people. Some of us would, would politically say, well, the only way to rise up against ISIS is, is to take, take the sword, right? To, to, it's like Red Dawn version. Uh, that's, a, that's an old, do you know that? No. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Oh, I wish I knew now. Oh, Patrick. Yes. Oh, oh, man. I could always some Swayze. Oh. Roadhouse. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So, oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> another, yet another example of the cultural illiteracy, illiteracy of the, uh, the millennial uh, population. Well, it's either that or world. Point Break. Right, no, but he was, he actually had other movies. Yeah, and, Donnie and, Darko, another oh, one. Oh, boy. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so we're done with the Swayze line of thought. Now, <laughs> but you would, you would actually have people who advocating armed revolt. Yeah. Okay, so 
in, in, and, and they would advocate assassinating anyone helping ISIS. So if you, if you take that scenario back 2,000 years, a tax collector is a Jew helping the terrorists, and a zealot is someone who's killing, who's intent on killing um, the, the terrorists and those that are helping them. And so when you read about Jesus' inner circle, you've got these two guys sitting next to each other. Yeah. Now I imagine they have some pretty interesting, like, table conversation, yes. right? I mean, and, and, and we, we get no glimpse into that. But Jesus, see, the thing is about, about Jesus, when he came into the world, he came into a politically charged time uh, in, in politically charged country. Yeah. I mean, as, as, as zealous and as charged as America is, it's got nothing on what first century Israel was like. The number one political issue is what do we do about the Romans? These godless pagans who are oppressing God's people, they're torturing us, they, they are robbing us, they're blaspheming our God, right? I mean, it would be literally as if ISIS instituted a, a harsh version of Sharia law on Americans, right? You would have that same sort of feeling. So Jesus walks into a culture like that and never says anything that could be politically used by either extreme. Yeah. In fact, anytime he had the opportunity to talk politics, he always turned political questions into kingdom questions, always. And he never comments on what version of the kingdom of the world he thinks is most effective. If Jesus <laughs> were here today, Jesus would not be a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Socialist. I mean, his kingdom is not of this world. And, and, and we are fortunate and blessed and, and awesomely thankful to live in a country where our opinion about how the kingdom of the world should be run is asked, right? So of course we vote, but the, the danger is that in such a country, it is very easy to think that our version of uh, our, our particular, my individual view about the, about the kingdom of the world is equated with what the kingdom of God is like. So even though I'm, I'm contributing to how the world should do power over, right? Because America, man, we got power over down. Yeah. Even though we're a democracy, you go to Iraq, you go to Afghanistan, we got power over, baby. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, even, even um, some of the issues we're having with police and, and race, I mean, you, you just see we are, we are a country that even though we're free and democratic, there's still power over here, even though we, we happen to be the best system I think humans have come up with <laughs> to do the power of the world, um, but, but it's still power over, yeah, right? Absolutely. Even, even this. So when Jesus is walking around, um, and, and he's not commenting on the, the, the fascinating conversations Matthew and, and Simon had to have. It'd be like, it'd be like having um, uh, uh, a member of the Taliban with a survivor from, of the 9-11 attacks uh, in, sitting next to each other in a church. It would be like somebody who's running a Planned Parenthood next to somebody that's picketing abortion clinics. Um, sitting next to each other, listening to Jesus talk, right? I mean, you, you take the furthest poles of politics then, apply it to politics now, and you go, these people were somehow united enough by this Jesus that those other concerns became secondary. Make yeah. sense so yeah. far? Yeah. All right, so power over, power under. And, and the biggest, I think the biggest, the biggest thing for Americans, at least for me, is how do we keep these two distinct? 
How do you keep power over and the, the power of the sword and the kingdom of the world distinct and pure from the kingdom of God, power under, you know, emphasis on the cross, right. those sorts of things. Right. And so to do that, um, and, 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 and this is where I think Jesus is so fascinating because um, he could have, I mean, he could have taught, he could have said so much against Rome. He could have clear, cleared out Roman temples, right? But he was there, he was there as a Jew for the Jews. It was amazing. Why are you looking around like that? I'm not, I was looking at Facebook. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing good. Yeah? Yeah, that's all. What, what's the best comment so far we've gotten? Oh, don't make me do that. There's too many. Hey, Nate and Hannah and Seth, hello, hello. Our kids watching on Facebook. All right, you got anything good? No, I'm just. Do I look, at my, does the camera add pounds? That's what I. Oh, uh, no, because in this case, since you chose a lower chair, you're actually almost hidden. And, and guess what? Yeah. That is a very hard, very hard thing to accomplish. So <laughs> and look very, what I did. I'm very excited about that. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm not, I'm not hidden. Some people are mad about it that they can't see you well. That was my bad. I thought it would look great over there. Yeah, I Apparently think the farther not. away, the better. In fact, <laughs> uh, if we turn off the lights, it'll look even better. Is that right? I look, that's what my Is wife says. Right? I, look, I, look, I look best about 20 feet away in the dark. So I don't know how to take that. <laughs> <sighs> okay, now, power over, power under. You yep, with me so far? I'm going. All right, this makes sense. Yes. Okay. So one of the ways, so I want to talk about how do, how do, we, how do we apply this? And then I want, I'm interested in what you guys think, because this is like no-brainer sort of stuff, but um, I don't think it's no-brainer sort of stuff, right? I mean, right. I, I think that... Well, we don't apply it. It seems like logically when you hear it, it makes sense. But then when you stand back and look at the world around you, you figure out, oh, I've easily... Well, no one trusts it. Yeah. No okay. one trusts, like, no one trusts that turning the other cheek is that it, it works. Or, or that blessing those that persecute you or, um, or loving your enemies. I mean, like... <laughs> See, the thing is, the funny thing is, I feel like if people understood the full story around turning the other cheek, though, like it, from how you've taught it, mm -hmm. in a very socially active world, I feel like that's significantly more meaningful. I mean, it's always been this very cliche kind of thing totally. we say. Yeah, we think it's dormant. Right, but when you really hear, like, how... Yeah, yeah. how oh. in, in, like, in, well, it's like, it's like you know, you, you look at the pictures of the old civil rights marches where they're literally being attacked by dogs. They are the marchers. They are being beaten. They're being hosed. I mean, they're horrific. Mm -hmm. and, they're, and they're being, they're choosing nonviolence. And they're choosing the way of power under. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you, you, get a, you get a feel for the fact that that's not passive. Right, yeah. Right, because there's, there's a strength that looks like strength, but it's actually weakness. And a weakness that looks like like weakness, but it's actually strength, yes, right? So Peter, Peter thinks, oh yeah, grabbing the sword, that's strong, but in, actu in actuality, in the upside down kingdom, that's weak. Right. And Jesus letting this happen looks weak, but in actuality, it's strong. Who's, who, who's the stronger person, right? The, the African-American gentleman who's being attacked and not responding in kind, or you know, the white officer that was letting loose a dog, right? I mean, you, yeah. you just, so, so we don't trust it, even in the face of the fact that it's that that power under has unleashed into the world the greatest movements, right? So you've got you've got obviously Martin Luther King, you've got Gandhi, you've got Mother Teresa. I mean, our greatest saints all practice this sort of power under, right? right? And, not, and it was original to Jesus, although he embodied the perfect manifestation of it. So so there's a sense in which 
when I look at the political landscape, even among, um, and it doesn't matter if you're for Trump or against Trump, um, a, a, a hardcore Republican, a hardcore Democrat, there's still, there's still the reliance on power over. Mm -hmm. So it's all about legislation and it's all about op uh, opposing this and it's all about if we could get this person in and if it's all about, you know, if we could impeach him on this, it's all trusting power over and very little, at least noticeable, um, power under, right? Mm -hmm. in, in, in our political conversations. Yeah. And so, so we have to distinguish, if we're trying to keep these two things separate. We have to distinguish between two fundamental questions, and then we'll, and then we'll go to questions. Okay. The first question that all of us wrestle with is, what do I do with my vote? How do I, what, what's, my, what's my opinion on how the, this particular version of the kingdom of the world should be run? What's, what is the best for law and order? What's the best for human flourishing? Right, I have that, I have that. That's question number one. What do I do in America with my singular vote? But as citizens of this other kingdom uh, that Jesus inaugurated, we have a second question, which is what, be what best advances the kingdom? How do we best manifest self-sacrificial love? How do we love neighbor and love God, right? Mm -hmm. So they're two totally separate questions. Now wait till, wait till I'm gonna make a couple of statements and then, and then people are gonna go, no, 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 no. And, and, and they'll show you how fused these two have become. Okay. All right, so, so I can imagine Matthew and Simon disagreeing completely on question one, right? Yeah. Uh, Matthew, what should we do about Rome? If you can't beat him, join him. Um, <laughs> Simon, what should we do about Rome? Yeah. Stab him and you know, some throats. Revolution. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Uh, put horses in their beds. Huh. Um, Wait, is that a thing? That's a thing. Horse Was that a thing like in horse Rome heads. or a oh, horse head yeah, yeah, in reference. their bed? Um, yeah, you wouldn't know that because you watch Ace Ventura. All right, so. <laughs> it's true. I, yeah, sadly, I've actually never seen any of the Godfathers. Oh. It's pathetic. I know. See. That's, the sad, that's actually the saddest thing we're going to hear all night. No. Oh, no. Oh, I think we'll hear worse. But we haven't got to the questions yet. So. Um, <laughs> so. So. So we're called to um, have an opinion on question one. Simon and Matthew would have had an opinion on question one. But the power of the, the commonality of following Jesus, the overwhelming nature of, of, of Jesus and his mission dwarfed, dwarfed that difference. So that on question two, they, they were fully like, we'll, we'll do whatever Jesus is doing, right? And obviously not perfectly. I mean, it took him yeah. a while to figure out what he was doing. But, but you see that the similarities on two were so overwhelming that the differences on one were irrelevant. Yeah. Now, that doesn't matter anymore because what we have in America is, is the, the, the agreement on two isn't as important as agreement on one with Christians. So the Christians now are judging each other and their faith based on how they voted. Right, so non-Trump people yeah. are judging Trump people and Trump people are judging non-Trump people. Even though we disagree on one, evidently our view of two is so little and it's so fused with our view on one that we can't separate it. And instead what we do is if you have the wrong view on one, I'm judging you about two. Yeah, absolutely. Which, well, that's completely ridiculous. Right. You have more in freaking common with a Christ follower in Iraq 
than you do with your next door neighbor who does not follow Jesus. We never think of it this way. Yeah. Two is nothing to us. Two is immaterial to us. Two, what advances the kingdom is just a reflection of one. If we had the right laws, it would advance the kingdom. And the right officials, that would advance the kingdom. And the right justices, that would advance the kingdom. That shows how unbelievably toxic and fused this two is, this, these things have become. Yeah. Jesus of Nazareth does not care and he will not be hindered by whoever the heck sits in the freaking White House. And the last thing Jesus followers should be doing, is that the cops? Is that the cops? <laughs> yeah, we were clapping because the, the cops are on their way. Oh my goodness, power over. Oh, I see them. All right, listen. It's actually an ambulance. Listen, if anyone asks, my name is, is uh, Frederick and um, and I do not drive a big uh, Ford Expedition. Um, those parking tickets were unjust. I right, was just protesting. Right. Well, it's, it's, you know, with all this, it's fascinating. Like, um, there, there's a couple, um, a couple, geez, I can't even use words today. Um, studies. Pressure. Thank you. The there's a couple studies. Um, one more recently where um, prior, like kind of during uh, George W. Bush's uh, presidency. They did a poll which basically showed um, they that white, for the most part, white evangelical Christians voted that uh, moral character was yes. like outrageously important compared, right. like for the president right. compared to policy, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Then during Trump's actual campaign, right. they did the same poll yeah. and it completely flipped. Like it right. went down. Like it was like eighty-seven percent. Well, it mattered for Hillary. It, yeah. Her character mattered. Yeah, for but, whatever but, but, reason. But don't, but don't make it about Trump. No, 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 I'm not. I'm just saying it's just, it's just really interesting to me. The point I'm making is that then it flipped to where then that – to down to like 15% were like, ah, moral character isn't quite as important as everything else. Right. I mean, but that well, – that's so bled into um, how identity – you know, in absolutely um, in, in political and trust, identity and is trust. more important than That's our. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, so do you see the symptoms of this right on Facebook? Does it matter? Does it matter if you two are if two people are Jesus followers? If you disagree on one, mm -hmm. then you disagree on two. Yeah. And that is the most ridiculous. That is the. I mean, seriously, you you cannot design a, a more muddied witness than the American church is to American culture mm. than what we've designed yeah. right now, yeah. right? It's absolutely insane. So how do we practice the way of resistance? Well, first of all, we, we, we endeavor to personally practice power under, right? Every time we have the opportunity to put someone down, every time we have the opportunity to stab someone in the back, every time we have the opportunity to manipulate, control, coerce, or threaten, we lay that down and we trust, and this is the hardest thing for, for me, for uh, loads of us to do, to actually trust that self-sacrificial love is the most powerful thing in the universe. It's just, we don't believe it wins. We just don't believe it wins. The second thing that has to happen is that Jesus followers have to be reminded that their Jesus following is actually the thing that dwarfs everything else. And that we can disagree on one and have very spirited conversations just like Matthew and Simon would have had. And yet, because of two and our agreement on two, we sit as brothers and sisters, we take the, the bread and the cup together and that's, that, is, it, that is irrelevant. Yeah. You know, it's just not as, it's, we, we just don't carry it as the, the sole source of our identity. But then the third thing, man, is the church has to repent 
of its infatuation with power over. Hmm. And that's why it loves politics. That's why it loves laws. That's why we love superstar pastors. That's why we only disqualify pastors for sex. We never disqualify them for pride or greed or domineering. We never disqualify pastors for that stuff, yeah. which is good because um, I'm guilty of most uh, of that <laughs> list, not sexual infidelity. Um, it's actually fascinating. I mean, I would, I would, I might argue that that Driscoll is act, was actually disqualified on those. Like, I mean, out of, but out of all of it. I mean, yeah. like, yes, and yeah, and, and like three years in. Yes. Oh, no, I'm not. Yeah. Church funds to buy his way onto the bestseller list. I mean, so egregious that those of us who had any sense who yeah. ran into this guy went, no, this, no, 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 no. Yes. But see, you justify it because oh, look at all the people coming to Jesus. Oh yeah. Right. So, so, so Jesus. Just to be clear. Jesus's work does not count unless it's done in Jesus's way. Now, Jesus can use dorks like me and people Maybe. like you <laughs> and people like Mark Driscoll and Hallelujah, right? None of us have to be perfect for that. But what we christen as an example to follow is the issue. Yeah. What we christen is who speaks at our conferences and who are the moral examples, right, in the evangelical movement, yeah. right? Uh -huh. I mean, the the the... And, and, and that's why I'm just, the, the whole like fastest growing church list that comes out, the, the whole celebrity industrial Christian complex yep. that's just conferences and networks and book sales, right? You just kind of go, ah, that's all expressions of power over. That's not service. The most, the, the most Jesus pleasing pastors and leaders in his church are people you'd never hear of. You'd, they've never written a book. They've never done a thing. And yet God is so pleased with those people. Mm -hmm. And so, so on the one hand, individually, we just can't bash the, the American infatuation with this. Individually, I choose power over. I don't trust power under. So I have to repent. Number two, we just have to forsake. We have to keep these two questions separate. What my view is about how the kingdom of the world should work and what advances uh, the kingdom. We have to keep those separate. And because the temptation in, in, for Americans is to think, well, the kingdom adv best advances if gay marriage is legal or if gay marriage is not legal or if refugees are allowed in or if refugees are not allowed in. And we have to realize, okay, there's, there's some overlap there, but the heat and the fervor and the judgment that's going on between both sides, that just betrays the fact that our disagreements on one are more important to us than our commonalities on two. Right. Yeah. Right. So that yeah. we have to repent of that. And then the third thing we have to repent of is as a collective church culture, we have to repent of the celebrity culture, the money driven culture, the power hungry culture, the influence um, platform culture, but, but our hunger for power over. We just mm -hmm. love power over. And the problem when we embrace power over, the, it robs the cross of its power. It muddies the beauty of Jesus. And it never, I mean, all the examples historically of the church having power over culture has ended up in the culture being less godly and the church being more worldly than if the church is persecuted in a minority. Mm. And so you just go, ah. So the way of resistance for me is embracing the cross and the power of it, embracing the power of self-sacrificial love and to stop, and this is tough, in this political environment to stop judging the people who have different political opinions than mine. Boom. That's a podcast right there. Ba-boom. All right, okay, now. Well, okay, well. Wait, hey. Was that not worth the price of admission? My brothers and sisters, was that not worth it? Very few things are free in life. Yes. Yes. No such thing as a free lunch, my friend. There is. There is free Coors Light. <laughs> now, 
Uh, Andy Bear, you want to take some? Uh, you want to do some questions? I do. So my first, I have my my first. I'm gonna throw the first one oh. because I mean that's you right. know, you've been jabbering. Mm. Um, I mean, it's in in a very politically charged state that we're. At. I mean, how do you proactively like protest um, with un, with power under? I mean, is it? Because, I mean, in a way, like, the, the idea of, of protesting now still suggests we're trying to come in and, and move things in a different, in a different way to sit, like, thinking that, that whatever that thing that's valuable should be considered. Yes. You know, right. Absolutely. So it, it's kind of, because in the picture you painted, like, in the civil rights kind of way, sure, like, you have a bunch of gentlemen that are being, you know, blasted with water and, like, that kind of thing, and them standing there is so profound, but it's also because they're acting out of a state of oppression. Yes. So for those of us that, many of us that perhaps aren't in a state of oppression but do want to stand up for the underdog in some kind of way, right. how, what does that, what do you think that actually looks like in a political environment? Oh, man, that's such a great question. I hope so. Shocking. Um, I know, Andy. And listen, Andy, Andy. <laughs> I just, I, I'm just jealous of how many people love you. That's all this is. Um, a couple of thoughts. Number one, absolutely protesting is, um, uh, I think, central to our, our freedom. Um, but protesting, think about all the different ways protesting can be done. Okay. Pro, protesting can be done as an example of trust and power over. Protesting can be done as um, solidarity, us versus them, okay. right? So us against the man and the hatred and division and discord are sown, okay. right? Protesting can be done from a desire to stand with the other. Protesting can be done in a nonviolent, peaceful, gracious, generous, non-divisive way, mm -hmm. right? That still yeah. makes the political, yeah, political okay. points, right? Mm -hmm. So it all depends on what's motivating it where you're at okay. and that's why I, you can't say yes or no because i can imagine people protesting in an angry not violent way but an angry this has got to change we're not going to take it anymore yeah, yeah sure like okay. our answers to question one are the most important things okay versus somebody that says you know what i think muslims um should have uh, the same religious rights we do and as a follower of jesus i feel like jesus would stand with these people and so I'm going to go to okay. an airport and I'm going to stand with them and I'm going to, you know what I mean? To me, that, that feels that, ha that has an entirely different internal tone. Um, and so I don't think Jesus is looking at whether or not you're standing or not standing or marching or not marching. I think it's what you're trusting in mm -hmm. first. And, and what, is it, what is it that you're trying to achieve? For me, when I'm standing with my Muslim brothers and sisters and saying, you know, religious freedom, if it's going to be freedom, it's got to be for everybody. Yeah. To say, to say that isn't to, to come against um, uh, some specific enemy. Um, because I, I think the, the, the thing that the kingdom of the world fosters more than anything else is the idea that the enemy is flesh and blood, that the enemy is some other person, some other group. And so what, what protests can do is they can energize that sort of division that kingdom people are supposed to override and overcome. Okay. Now, it doesn't have to. I'm just saying it can. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so for me, it depends on why and what and where and how you're protesting. Would Jesus protest? Sure. Um, I have no issue. I mean, his resistance was resistance. Martin okay. Luther King's resistance was resistance. So I, I think this, I think the idea of marching or protesting, all those sorts of things are fine things as long as 
the, the, these two questions are kept separate. Okay. And as long as what's being energized there is compassion and not uh, anger, hatred, divisiveness. Because if you're sitting there and, and, and your target is flesh and blood, then you're playing by the rules of the world. Okay. Right? Because Paul's so yeah. clear, the kingdom, what, what we're revolting against isn't flesh and blood. We're revolting against powers and principalities that sometimes people embody. Yes, no question about it. But the clear teaching of the Bible is if it's flesh and blood, you fight for it. Right? Yeah. I mean, end of story. Yep. And so, so I want to protest in a way that invites my enemy into reconsidering their behavior. See, the, th the difference of the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the world is only interested in outcomes and behavioral modification. Right? Because that's all they can control. Yeah. We don't want you to murder, so we're going to do something to murderers. Great. And I'm glad we do something to murderers. Yeah. Right? Power under those is interested in the transformation of the heart. And the only way hearts are transformed are, are through self-sacrificial love. So, yeah. okay. right, makes sense? Yep. That, no, that makes perfect sense. Because, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I was trying to get. Prior to other conversations we've had was me, I wasn't totally understanding um, exactly what kind of posture to take if I felt compelled to protest. Yeah. You know, so, I, but dividing what's those two energized? is good. Yeah, exactly. What's, what's being, being energized and really like understanding what's a healthy posture as far as stepping into activism. Like, and that like what if you, what if you were an anti-Trump person and you decided to go stand in solidarity with the Trump supporters? Hmm. Or what if you're a Trump follower and you decide to go stand in solidarity with, uh, with anti-Trump protesters? Yeah, okay. What if you're a male chauvinist and you decide to show up at the Women's March? Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, now, now we're getting a little Jesus-y, you know? Because mm -hmm. it's easy to march with people who are all thinking like you and agreeing with you and looking like you and acting like you. It's a lot, it's a lot different to protest on behalf of people that you would consider a natural enemy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so again, I mean, this is how radical the teachings of Jesus are. How serious do we take the call to love enemy? Right? I mean, that's really what the, what the thing is. And so, so I know that's a big, long answer, but I, I love the question. And we do okay. want to stand with the marginalized. Like we said a couple of uh, podcasts ago, the definition of who's marginalized changes. Yeah, yeah. For and sure. so it's not like uh -huh. there's just one group that's always sort of marginalized. I mean, I'm sure there are a few, but, but there are also groups that you realize as each coming, you know, each administration sort of comes and goes and each sort of legislative agenda comes and goes there are new groups now included in the being marginalized right 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 so so we can't be people so passionately committed to one version of the kingdom of the world that we're unwilling to work and be and fellowship and love people who are in agreement with question two all right yeah take some questions my friend okay all right. Let's hope this isn't an audio disaster. <laughs> you know, and thank be, you guys for suffering through all of that. It, it would be different what, space. What would be a bummer is if you hadn't hit record. Yeah, that, that would have been a real, uh-oh. No, just kidding. All right, hold on. So right now, right now Andy Bear is transitioning from our podcast uh, microphone to a, uh, a roaming microphone uh, for our brothers Here and I sisters. I try to be, you know, I try to be antagonistic and just kind of stir some stuff up. Okay. That sounds, you can, can you hear me talking? I, I hear okay. you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, cool. Take All your right. Off. Let's, see how, let's see how this goes. Okay. All right, good luck. All right, who's first? Give us your name, social security number, <laughs> home address. No, um. Heather's got one. Oh, no, no, oh, yeah. We're on it already. Oh, yeah. Go, Heather. 
I can't help but wonder if what, as a Christian community, and specifically uh, our Vox community, Christian community, what if our, our answer, what if what we looked like when, when we were answering Andy's question, what if our answer is service? You know, I look at all, I look at all of those hundreds of thousands of people that marched for the women's event what if they had all taken that one day and served the marginalized for that one day? And I'm not even talking about in a Christian community type way. What if they had taken that one day and actually served, you know, uh, an immigrant or taught right. people English for the day? Yeah, or maybe the protest something. has this the justice element to it. Exactly. I mean, yeah. they, we would have changed the world Absolutely. for the weekend. Yep. You know, I'm just saying... As Christians, we're talking about self-sacrificing love. Well, it's really hard to do that when you're in the face of adversity for that one day. But if we're constantly in service, Come on. it becomes natural to you yep. to do that. Well, so what if, our, what if our answer is just service? I love it. Um, let me answer that question with, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, think you with, said it, I yes. think you said it well. I mean, I, I, I think that... When we talk about protest, we think about marching right now because that's the thing. I think there are a lot of really subtle ways, and Jesus is infinitely creative about how to protest. See, th think about it. You live in revolt against the powers that sit behind greed whenever you choose generosity, right? You live in revolt against the powers that sit beside racism whenever you engage and look somebody in the eye, treat them with dignity um, in a marginalized, uh, who belongs to a marginalized population, correct? See, you're, you can live a life of revolt all the time and protest all the time. I mean, I think this is what you're saying. That, that doesn't look like just a march and hallelujah for marches and, and, and I'm, I'm, I have no issue with those things. The, the, it's just easy to begin to demonize the other in that environment. And it's easy to think, because I've marched, I've done my job. I've, I've done my protest, when in actuality, we're, we're called to revolt against the powers and principalities in the way we make every decision, in the way we treat every single person, right? I want my protest to affect change. Yes. I want it to mean something to somebody. Absolutely, and absolutely. somebody could read that day, that Right, great. right, absolutely. Excellent, Heather. Good stuff. Joanna. All right, who else? No, right here. Oh. Now, right. now let me tell you about Joanna. Joanna is, um, I didn't think there were many Pearl Jam fans that were Pearl Jam fans in a more sort of substantial way than I am. But I think you're close. You saw Temple of the Dog, what, three times? Uh, right? Yeah, I did. Up, up Actually, California. Less. And if you don't know who that is, again, millennials, you yeah. awful. I know. Uh, and I'm married to the oldest guy here, just for the record. Yeah, but I'm, you're like, but you're like 20 years younger, right? I'm much younger. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, so, um, kind of piggybacking off a lot of the comments that have been said. Question number one: um, I don't give a flying rat's patoot who you voted for. Right. I mean, it is who it is. What I'm struggling with, and this has been a really difficult season for me. Um, I see six to 12 people six days a week, and I do their taxes. And we have been talking mostly about the pain, um, positive, negative, plus, minus, and I listen. And my question is, 
it's a heavy burden on my heart. It really pains me to see all the distress these people are in. How can I be Jesus to them? How can I make Jesus beautiful to them? I listen. I don't have answers. Yeah. In your professional role, you mean? Yes. Yeah, so, so you're, can I tell people what you, what you do? Yeah. Okay, you're a CPA. Yes. And so you're seeing people, and, and money is always the great revealer of what's real. Right. Right? So, you know, it's tough to hide uh, on a tax return. So, so your question is, hey, how do I, as a Jesus follower, minister to people who are in this professional environment, who are unloading sorts of, like, huge problems, how do, I, how do I handle that? How do I carry that? Is that? Am I hearing that right? Yeah, because it's sucking the life right out of me right now. I'm yes. empty. I'm drained. Yes. I am spent. Okay. Two, well, two thoughts about how to re- replenish. Coors Light and Pearl Jam. All right, so... <laughs> Actually, I, we brought a bottle of wine. Okay, okay. Pearl, Pearl Jam is I guess you took. I guess you took the monkey business cafe literally. Um... <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought that was like, no one else, no one else. Kids, uh, go to bed if you're still watching. Um, Okay, this is such a big question. A couple of thoughts for you, and none of this, you already know this because I know you, you already know this. Number one, it's beautiful that you don't have all the answers. The lie is, see, see, that can be a trust of power over because being right is a form of power. And so when Christians walk around smug in their rightness, right? And arrogant in their rightness and always having to have a 30 second answer for the great mysteries of the universe. I think we do a lot of harm. So one of the ways we choose power under is by being willing to say, I have no idea. I had somebody email me and he said, what do I tell my friend whose husband committed suicide and then her baby was stillborn all within two years? What, What do I say? And I'm like, you don't say a freaking word. There's this practice that is so inspiring to me. It's called sitting Shiva. We've talked about it, and I, I never want to say that too quickly. Um, as we say that fast. And, and as we've talked about, um, it, it is the practice of, of simple, simple, silent presence. And the fact that you listen, and the fact that you care, and the fact that people already feel the freedom to unload to you, is it, it puts you, put you in the exceptional like Jesus following category because most people just see people as products or, or as networks to be developed or, you know, but the fact that you're seeing people as hearts and people as problems and people as wrestling. Um, so, so all of that is huge. I don't think you have to feel compelled to have answers. I think you can, I think you, I, some of the most powerful words I've ever heard are I'm sorry and me too. Right? And, yeah. and I know you use those words. See, the thing is, you're, you're pastoring people as a CPA. I mean, you have tons of real Jesus-following choices to make as you're meeting with all of these people. And yes, you're giving financial advice, but it sounds like you're getting into way bigger stuff. Now, how you guard yourself so that that stuff doesn't become overwhelming, right? That's where Jesus models an area we don't talk a lot about, but that's just emotional health, right? He's withdrawing from the crowds, spending time with his inner circle, right? All of those sorts of things. So for you, Joanna, because I know you, you already do the things I would recommend. Sit and listen. Don't feel like you've got to be right. Don't feel like you've got to have all the answers. I think, I think offering to pray for people and saying, I don't want to be offensive, but you know, I'd absolutely love to call down God's blessing upon you. I think that is a so under, and not in a cheesy Christian way. Like, <laughs> oh, I'll be praying for you. I'm not cheesy. 
No, I wish people knew how uncheesy you, you and cool you turn out to be. When I grow up, I want to be, like, be like you and Jonathan. You're not that much younger than Shut me. it. Um, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so the fact that you see it as ministry, the fact that you see yourself as a minister in the middle of that, I mean, I think all of that is absolutely amazing. The last thing I would, I would throw out there is this. There is an art that we have lost called the art of blessing. And um, it's, it's, it's actually the flip side of the art of lament, right? And you're already lamenting. Lamenting is yes. calling out what's wrong, naming it, not hiding behind pretending, not, not uh, cheesying it up, not putting Christian cliches on it, right? That's lament. The art of blessing is calling truth out too, but it's calling truth out in a way that um, it, it's, it's half prayer, half statement of um, affirmation. It's... Um, the word bless uh, is the word we use to get eulogize from. It's, uh, it's this word that has to do with I'm speaking the truth about somebody and I'm looking for the signposts and the fingerprints of God's work already. And all I'm doing is kind of pointing those out. Blessing isn't asking God to do something. It's already recognizing God is at work and pointing those things out in a way that breathes life into people and gives them hope. And I wonder if on the, on the lament side, which is so, so heavy, that there isn't this other side to be learned and practiced too. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I hope, I, I feel so inadequate even, I don't know. I don't know. I feel so inadequate to even answer that. But I'm so proud of you. Hello. Way to go, sisters. <laughs> My name is Lauren. I have a, a question regarding your questions that you asked um, and it's kind of personal because i just got engaged to a military man yeah the most wonderful person ever i'm so yep. excited to get married absolutely um, he has chosen can y'all hear me i feel like i'm quiet and um, he has chosen a life of um, military service yep like that's what he wants to do yep um and i and i totally 1000 percent support that and yeah. I want what he wants in that but i just was wondering for me and for him as well how how do these questions and thoughts get yes. reconciled with oh, that? The whole time I was like, oh yes. my gosh, we're talking about power. Like, I'm asking this question. Yes. So I just wanted to know okay. what you thought. Congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. Um, my dad was a homicide detective. And so he was a Marine. Uh, my stepfather was an um, Army Ranger. Um, I, I've been uh, a chaplain for Fullerton PD. So I get the law enforcement, military, like, questions in this. And here's what I've observed. It's similar to the protesting. You can have people who are engaging in those professions who do so out of anger, violence, uh, a lust for adrenaline, a uh, I've got no other options, you know, um, uh, re we retaliate because that's what Americans do. And I've also met people who are in these professions who are kind and gentle and realize the power that they have can be used for so much freaking good. So, I have utterly no way to discern when it's right and when it's wrong other than to go to the posture of the heart and to say, are, it, it, are you engaging in the profession um, in order to display Christ-like love? Are you able to engage in it without being poisoned? I mean, man, being a cop is so hard. Um, and it's not just what you're dealing with on the outside, it's just even the politics on the inside that's just so insane. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's true even in the military, right? It's not, it's not just the external thing. And, and so I would say, is it possible to follow Jesus and, and be a military person? Of course. 
uh, right? The Roman centurion, right? Jesus didn't say, well, give up your centurion-ness. Um, um, so I think it's possible. I just think it's more difficult be, with the temptations to, to trust power over in those situations. So for instance, uh, by way of analogy, um, be, is being rich wrong? No. But does it make following Jesus more difficult? Yes. Why? Because the, 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 the temptation to trust money is more prevalent. Now, can, can poor people be greedy and trust money too? Absolutely. So I'm just, I'm just trying to say, when you have a kind of power that is the most tempting power sitting there at your fingertips, that just makes it harder. So do I have any question about whether or not you and your husband should be doing this? No, of course not. Is it gonna be hard though to love your enemy when what's being, what, what and, and do I believe there are times you have to use self-defense? Of course I do. Um, but I, I, is, it, is it more difficult to practice love of enemy and love of other in that environment? You bet. So to have someone like you, to have a church family, to have people supporting this person, writing this person, encouraging this person, even more important in those circumstances. So I can imagine soldiers who are in it and it is totally wrong for them to be so. I can, I can imagine soldiers that are in it um, and that are honoring Jesus and following Jesus thoroughly and absolutely. In the same way I can imagine law enforcement and you know politics and everything else. I just think no matter what profession you choose, there are occupational hazards you have to be awoken to. So the temptation to trust the power of the sword for someone in the military, for someone in law enforcement is going to be their issue. If someone is a, a capitalist and an entrepreneur, right, the, the, the temptation to trust the power of money, which is still power over, right, the, the, in, in, the, um, in the religious profession, right, what are the hazards there to trust the power, all of them, yeah, absolutely all of them, but to trust um, the false self that you want me to have and that I want to show you. To, 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 to put my faith and trust in that and not put my faith and trust in um, um, weakness, struggle, vulnerability, right? So, so your just set of hazards has directly to do with whether or not you trust the power of the sword um, as opposed to whether or not you trust the power of mammon, money, or the power of lust, or the power of, you know, um, what I can accomplish in my own self. Does that help? Absolutely. It's a great question. Great question. Great question. This oh, is my friend Jessica over here. Oh. Oh, we were going to get a boy. Uh, yeah, I thought we'd maybe, you oh, know. Oh, let's get a boy. Yeah, let's uh, break it up let, a little bit. Just to let right? him know. I mean, hey, Justin, can you come up here? We always, uh, kind of our Vox events always have more women than men just because of the attractiveness <laughs> of, uh, of the hosts. And, um, and so, anyway. Yes. I am intimidated by your attractiveness. Yeah, you are. Yes. I, I will state that. Um, <laughs> Hey Mike, uh, my name is Justin, and well, hello Justin. I guess uh, hello. Uh, one of one of my my biggest questions, I guess, is I, I'm sensing a lot of like confusion among my network, among my my peers. Uh, it's there's this strong temptation to uh, choose a side in, I guess, in. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, discussing political issues in terms of yeah. discussing, you know, like over question one. The United States. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Um, what is a question or a conversation that we can have with ourselves and maybe with <laughs> like those who we love? What are some of those conversation topics that we can actually start a road towards meeting somewhere in the middle? Like yes. Conversation one. Oh, beautiful. 
So, so Justin, great question, my friend. And, and we've talked a little, a couple episodes ago, we talked about the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. And to be a peacemaker in a world like today is, is it could be one of the hardest uh, vocations for those of us interested in such a thing. Um, <coughs> first is always to be aware of my own biases and prejudices. And so I have my views on question number one. So I have to be really honest about where I am and how I'm viewing people and how I'm seeing the debate. Because, as Jesus said, if you're ever going to talk about somebody, the speck in someone else's eye, let's deal with the two by four in our own first. So let me just deal with all my two by fours. Second thought is, um, I, I have really become convinced that we, we're, we're very poor at asking good questions. And so to sit down, so let's say, I'm just saying hypothetically, Justin, I don't know where you would land on these things. Let's say you were very much an anti-Trump person in the middle of a Trump family. Uh, and it would be very, very easy to allow the heat of disagreement over question one, right, to, to kind of pollute uh, the family conversation, to, to pollute the dynamic, to, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm unfriending these people and I'm hiding these people and social media is off and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, uh, uh, and this is so dumb um, and so obvious, but it's so rarely practiced. It's so rarely practiced that a Trump... Um, disliker would take a Trump supporter out to lunch and ask them why they, they, they hold the view they do. Like, not just like, and don't disagree with them. Like genuinely sit and say, why, why was this so compelling to you? Well, I felt like, man, I, I really felt like our country was going downhill. Okay, in what way, in what sense? And you're, and you're not defending, you're not, you're, not, you're not advocating, you're doing nothing except hearing what they're saying and understanding where they're coming from. That, and I know, oh my goodness, I wish I had a better answer, but that simple practice, that if people did that, we would be so better off because what would happen? And, and, and you know, it's like, well, why, why, did, um, why did everybody now all of a sudden become a champion of gay rights when they weren't 20 years ago? Well, one of the biggest answers is, well, I know someone who's gay, <laughs> right? It, my, my kid, my, my uncle, my whatever. And that, that awareness changed the dynamic. So as long as we're sitting behind views, right? You can demonize, you can label, you can other them. When you're sitting, when you're, when you're starting to exchange stories, well, that's a whole different thing, right? So, so my mom is a Trump supporter. She is seven, in her seventies and her priorities and her, her, and what she's experienced in terms of what America is and has been is so radically different from what America has been to me. Right? I didn't sit through wars. I didn't, I didn't go through the Vietnam War. I didn't see Nixon resign or get impeached or whatever it was. I didn't see JFK, RFK, Martin Luther King get assassinated. I didn't see the Kent State riots. Right? I didn't sit through the civil rights movement. Like for her to hear why, it, it opens me up to the possibility that there are legitimate reasons on the other side, whatever that other side might be. Now, suppose you're a diehard Trump supporter and you're just looking at all the snowflakes, right? And going, ah, da, 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 da. well, that, that, see, the same practice applies, right? So the lost art of, of sitting over lunch and saying, I, and you say this to yourself, I promise to not say a word, no matter how much I disagree with what you're saying. I just want to understand where you're coming from. Oh, I mean, Justin, I know. But see, it's those kinds of things that have been sociologically 
demonstrated, it's scientifically demonstrated, but just anecdotally demonstrated to change the dynamics of all these conversations. To sit at a dinner table with a family of people who are anti-Trump and you love him, and to sit and say, what, what is it that you're afraid of? What is it that you're concerned about? What is it that's really angering you? What do you, what do you see him doing? What do you think his end goal is? And to just sit there and, and listen to it, I just think there's such power in that. And see, here's the thing, Justin, that is another example of power under, because power over is I'm gonna get in this heated argument, man, and I'm gonna show them I'm freaking right, and I'm gonna walk out, and I'm gonna do it. That's power over, that's threat, that's coercion, right? And I'm not saying don't disagree, of course disagree. Of course disagree. It's just, it is an exercise of power under to refuse in, in that moment when you actually get somebody talking, to refuse to shut them down. By, by having to interject, label, right, and object to what it is they're saying, right? It is a power under to just simply sit and listen. And to not, I mean, you talk about a neglected spiritual discipline. Let's all practice on not having to have the last word. How about that one? We're just all gonna, we're just all gonna commit we're not gonna have the last word, no matter how crazy this gets, and just see what happens. So anyway, Justin, great question. And there's more to say, of course, but I, that's where I'd start. That's where I'd start. Great question, dude. Jessica. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, okay, I don't want to put early Christians on too much of a pedestal and be too hard on modern day Christians, at oh, least American Christians. Let's do it. Um, so I, something shifted, has shifted from early Christians in, in the power over power under sense. Correct. Um, I guess there's two questions. One, is there something even maybe historically you can say, like yep. there was a point where it shifted? Yes. And then secondly, um, what are the, the things in scripture particularly that are taken the most out of context to justify power over? Oh, oh, oh dang. So good. All right, first of all, uh, and, and many of you many of you know, and some of our some of our 60-somethings will have actually lived under the rule of the Emperor Constantine. Um, he, uh, in the, <laughs> no. um, so, so it's much more nuanced than this. But what, what Constantine did in not only claiming the, the cross as a symbol for military victory, uh, and then years later, Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. Um, what that did, th there is a demonstrable sociological difference between how the church was prior to that and how the church was after that. The, the martyrdom, the, the willingness to go into plague-afflicted uh, uh, areas that the, 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 the Roman emperors, I mean, there's, we, have a, we have an example of Emperor Julian who, who's writing to a priest of the imperial cult and saying, why are the Galileans taking better care of our poor? Now, the Galileans was kind of a pejorative about those that follow Jesus from the Galilee. And, and so you go from that to now the Holy Roman Emperor, the Holy Roman Empire, the, 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 um, the fact that, uh, you know, a thousand years after, after Constantine did this, now we're, we're marching in the Crusades um, with crosses and, and we're putting people to the sword unless they convert. So, so I think there is, now it's really complicated and it's not this simple, but there does seem to be an historical moment. And it was when the church went from a marginalized community to now a center of power. And you could argue that any place in the world where that's happened, the church has died. Finland, Denmark, Sweden, 
right? Any place where the church has become the state religion, that wedding of question one and question two has so polluted the church that the church has simply ceased to exist, um, except in, the, in its most kind of marginalized forms. You could make the counter argument too that where the church has most flourished um, has been, have been the places where it's been most persecuted, right? And you see that in China. Um, we see that in some portions of Africa. Um, um, the, 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 the spirit of God has moved from American um, and God, obviously God's everywhere, but the, 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 the things that seem to be the most powerful um, uh, manifestations of the Spirit's power and love have been overseas, right? Among very marginalized groups um, and, uh, and while we argue over worship styles, you know, I mean, it's just absolutely insane. What, that's not worth our time? Um, sure. Um, absolutely. It, that, that, you talk about privilege, right? I mean, that's, that's, if you live in a culture where you can argue over worship styles, that's the very definition. Um, in terms of parts of the Bible, it's the, all the old, the old Testament, right? Well, doesn't God command holy war? Obviously, doesn't God use power over? I mean, he's compelling and he's commanding genocide and he's zapping people if they touch the ark when it was tipping over and, right? And, and doesn't it say eye for eye and tooth for tooth? And so, and even sometimes people will bleed into John the Baptist a little bit. They're like, yeah, yeah, that John guy. So he's a New Testament guy, but man, that guy brought the fire, you know? So, so primarily we, we misunderstand the Old Testament. And so then we misapply it to justify power over. Is that, that's a great question. Dang, you guys are awesome. This is, I hope this is fun for you. It is fun for us. <laughs> oh, okay, here we go. Oh, wait, did you have a question? You did. And then you, Hillary. Assis has power over Christians, right? Assis has power over Christians? Who, who does? ISIS. Do they so, have power over Christians yes, in the Middle East? I see that they're middle yes. beheading Christians. Absolutely. So they're enemy, right? They're our enemy. The, they, Are we supposed to love our enemies? Yes. How do we love ISIS? Oh, great question. <laughs> all right, let's talk about how do we love ISIS. First of all, can we agree that we're called to? By definition, they are the enemy, and we are called to love them. Secondly, it is in those moments when our rabbi is being arrested that the power of the sword is most attractive. So it is in those moments when ISIS is using power over and beheading Christians that the power of the sword becomes most attractive, correct? And I tell you the truth, our current president saying we're going to blast them out of existence. We're going to meet violence with violence, right? Even George W. Bush at the end of 9-11, we're going to eradicate Al-Qaeda. It is, it is simply a matter of observation and historical fact that, that violence begets more violence. And that the more we martyr uh, Muslims, the more Muslims will be antagonistic toward us. And, um, and so, so in my view, and again, Jesus does not call the state to use power under. Right? Paul's very clear about this. The state uses power over. That's why Christians have to be so careful about getting involved. The state is used to limit wrongdoing. So I have no issue if, if our government says, um, or in World War II, here's Nazi Germany and we need to go rescue um, uh, uh, Jews that are being exterminated, right? There's a part of me that goes, I'll put my kilt on, I'll paint my face blue, and I'm grabbing a big sword and I'm going over in the name of William Wallace. In World War II, that would not have worked. It would have been drafty, uh, but uh, it could have. It could have. You don't know that. Um, 
so, so the temptation is real. Um, if ISIS, um, let's, let's make it very practical, if ISIS were to, to somehow take over America, um, we would have the following debates. Um, which is the most Jesus-like posture? Uh, fighting them uh, with arms or uh, dying at their hands joyfully, willingly, suffering and allowing that evil to, at least for the moment, seem like it was, it was victorious. I, I mean, the biblical answer is really, really clear on that. Individual Jesus followers would so value the way of Jesus that they would rather die by the sword than use one. So, so I just go, well, how do you love ISIS? Uh, I don't know many people that pray for them uh, or pray for God's blessing over them or ask that God would move over them. I don't know how many of us are willing to uh, resettle refugees, right? I mean, that's, to me, the refugee issue gets really wedded into, I'd, I'd get the heck out of Syria too. Um, um, and so how many of us are willing to forego comfort and funds to help resettle victims um, or refugees from ISIS? Uh, I think the third thing uh, to, for me, is, um, and this is so, oh, this is so offensive. Um, so when, um, I, I don't even want to say this, but this is something I actually do in my head. Um, I imagine um, what, uh, boy, I'm hesitant to say this. Um, <laughs> I imagine, uh, so I have, I have a couple pictures um, that are just illustrations. One is of Jesus washing Osama bin Laden's feet. Uh, and one is Jesus uh, talking with a Nazi SS officer as they're walking down the road. And I don't ever, um, I, I, and, and they're horrible illustrations, but they, they provoke in me the, the, uh, kind of a cold splash of water kind of slapped to the face about how far am I will, really willing to see Jesus that way? To see that Jesus, would Jesus have allowed ISIS to kill him? Um, would the early Christians have allowed ISIS to kill them? Uh, now again, we, we run, uh, in some cases there's self-defense, I get all of that. Um, but there's also this, this thing in me that in a, in a situation like that, I so want to trust the power of the sword and the power of me and I'm big and I can do this and uh, and, um, and to sit and go, okay, uh, these are people that Jesus died for too. These are people made in the image of God. I mean, that whole thing is so freaking hard for me and those pictures provoke it. So I actually sit sometimes and, and stare at those because they uh, provoke in me like, really? Really, Jesus, really? Um, and, uh, and they, and they uh, I, I've thought about using them, uh, but I, I, I wonder just how offensive they'd be. Because we've wedded question one and question two, it's so easy to look at, at ISIS and say, these are scum, infidels, they should be eradicated from the face of the earth. And yet, as Jesus people, there's this other thing we have to say about them, right? They're made in God's image and Jesus died for them. And I, I don't know if their redemption is the ultimate goal, if, if, if the, the only thing our imagination can conjure up is violence, if that's the Jesus way. So, man, that's a great and horribly tough question. Mm. Nope, she doesn't get any more. <laughs> no way.
No way. Hey, um, my name's Hillary. Hi, Mike. Hi, Hillary. So uh, my question is sort of surrounding, um, you know, just with everything that's been happening in the world in terms of legislation being passed and attitudes, you know, of um, people who support what's happening, right. um, the right. most vulnerable parts of our society, and seeing, I feel this deep frustration um, with some of the evangelical leaders who have really gotten behind some of these ideas yeah. or, you know, yep. are supporting. And I'm just, I'm wondering, like, if you think, I'm hopeful that this can change. And I don't know exactly what it's going to take for that to change, but right. it's just really frustrating for me to see people in the world who are, un are unfamiliar with Jesus, and this is like, you know, this is their the representation right. of what Right. what that means to the world and I just I'm wondering if you have any ideas about what would make that transform um, oh. reformation wh whatever you want to call it like what yeah. is your viewpoint on that oh my goodness dang a um, couple of thoughts um, first of all I personally I have shared that anger but I haven't shared the anger because of their views on policy I've, I've had the frustration with certain evangelical leaders because they've wedded one and two together. So my anger towards evangelical leaders hasn't been because of who they voted for, but it's because when they anoint any candidate, it could have been Hillary, it could have been Barack, it could have been, um, it, it could have been anybody. But when they anoint some version of the kingdom of the world in a candidate as God's candidate, I'm done. I will protest, I will howl, and I feel like that was the role of the prophets in the Old Testament, not that I'm any way, shape, or form a prophet. I think that's what we protest. I'm not questioning their Jesus following, I'm questioning whether or not they've committed idolatry by wedding one and two together in that way. So I have no issue if you're an evangelical and you vote for Donald Trump and, and you think the Supreme Court was worth that and here's your reasons why, okay, our view on two is gonna trump our uh, view on one. I can't even use the word anymore. Um, and, uh, and so, so for me, um, you're, 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 to, to hold evangelical leaders accountable for their public witness, I think is a necessary thing. I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, uh, the danger becomes that uh, in doing that, we neglect our own personal witness um, and because it's, it's far easier for me to critique somebody who's anointed Trump as God's person and just ignore the fact that I don't know my neighbor's names or, or the names of their children. And, you know, I just kind of go home and I sit and I consume media and I get angry and I'm not, there's nothing good. There's nothing redemptive coming from that. See, anger isn't bad. Anger, we've talked about it, right? Jesus was angry, but his anger led to healing and redemption and reconciliation. And so what does your anger lead to? And if it's a greater heart for the marginalized and compassion, fantastic, then let it, then let it sit there and let it fuel that. For me, one of the ways this looks is because I have a small platform of using that platform just to keep saying, guys, you're one and two are confused here. There's no God's candidate. God, Jesus doesn't, doesn't have a, he's not here to tweak the, our version of the kingdom of the world. There's not, so I, I feel like I need to keep just kind of poking at that, even though I get accused of being a Hillary dupe, you know, in the process. It's like, man, you don't even see the point I'm trying to make here. 
Um, so, so all of the ways of protesting, all of the ways of telling a counter narrative, I think it's super important for people who know that we're Jesus followers to say, not all Jesus followers think like this. I think that is one of the most, most important things you can do and then embody the difference. I think that is absolutely critical. Do we forsake our role as, as saying, hey, um, if you're gonna be a cultural leader and a spokesperson for Jesus, uh, man, it seems like you've, you've wedded. No, I, I think we should absolutely keep saying and keep objecting. And, and my point is presenting the counter narrative, right? The counter narrative about refugees is they're all welcome. The counter narrative about, you know, how, however you wanna tell it, I think is as long as it's grounded in scripture and focused on Jesus, we tell that counter narrative and let that be beautiful. Make sense? So that's a phenomenal question. Phenomenal. Man, I feel so inadequate answering these things because there's so much more to say. Andy Bear. Okay, you want to do a couple more? One more? Yeah. Oh, yes. This is the bearded corner over here. Just a couple of guys with some facial hair. I think he trumps my beard. He does. That is solid. That is solid. Hey, Mike. It's Dustin here. Um, Dustin from Lancaster. It's true. He made fun of us last time we were from Lancaster. Bless you. No, so listen. We came back, man. I know. But I live here now. Like, I know, but you're from Lancaster. Don't remind me. We <laughs> um, <laughs> mean Ohio. That yeah, is you're from Ohio, bro. Come on, dude. Um, so I think on the with the power subject, feeling like uh, in the last year becoming a victim of power over in some ways within the church. How do you mean? Um, like spiritual abuse? Yes, oh, precisely. Yes. Oh. And so both of us, both my wife and I, and we were both on staff at a church and felt like there was some spiritual abuse. Yep. And became a victim of some power over. And then, of course, that arises the, the desire to want to react oh, and respond. Yes. And I know that you understand this. Oh, yes. And so yet sometimes I feel like I have to be like in the closet with these <laughs> feelings because you can't throw other Christians under the bus. Right. And you can't call things as they are. Right. And so at the same time, it's like, well, how do I express authentically dude, that's horse crap and that yes. shouldn't be done and that's yes. wrong. Yes. And call that out in a way that is truthful and Christ-like yes. without just being an antagonist, Ooh. if that makes sense. Of course it makes wonderful sense. First of all, I am so sorry. I think a lot of us have experienced this. And let's just say for the record, um, if the church community you are interested in is controlling, get out. Jesus was not interested in controlling people's behavior and using employment agreements and non-competitive agreements and all those things, man. You, you, you can see where the church is trusted power over by how much um, uh, certain parts, not all, but some parts of um, business uh, administration and management technique and job descriptions and raises and all of that has kind of been used to sort of threaten and uh, motivate and you know it's just it's be, it can it's not all bad it could just can become super toxic so I'm sorry you've experienced that Jesus was really clear about um, all right so how we deal with this stuff so the first thing is you try you go to the person 
and you say, you, you, got, you don't even know how sick you are. You, we, are at, we feel spiritually abused by your leadership. And you bring trusted people into that conversation with you, and you go and you confront it non-publicly. That, that's the big thing. So often we just lead with the very public, like, ah, you know, that's the blog and it's the thing. The, so the first thing you do is you go, you go to the person or persons and you state uh, with as much truth and as much grace as you can manage the, the list of things that you feel you were sinned against. And you call it that. And you, and you prayerfully, you try to do it in a way that opens the door for their repentance rather than just shutting the door. See, if you just blast it publicly, unless they're super mature, right, they're, they're instantly going to, you've shut off any capability for them to repent, right? They've hard, been hardened against you. They've been hardened into their own ways of seeing things and like, well, yeah, this is why we sign the do not disclose agreements. This is why we let them go. They're proving it right now and how they're handling this, right? You've just hardened them uh, in their sin, in their abuse. So the first move, the first Jesus move is to go to them directly and as specifically as you can detail. Now, maybe they won't meet with you. Maybe you don't feel safe meeting with them. Great. Bring friends. Bring another pastor, bring somebody. Um, or you send a letter and call and say, I'd like to discuss this, right? But you're, open, but you're, but you're actually naming the sin in front of them. Um, and, and then Jesus is like, well, if that goes poorly, then you, then you bring others to the party. And, and you bring other pastors or you bring other, other staff people or you go, hey, it's not just us feeling this. Here's the list of people. Right? And, and, and there are names and it's not anonymous and it's not vague, ominous rumblings. It's like, no, here's, here's several of us who are not on staff anymore who feel this way. You need to do something about this. You go to the elders instead of the pastor. Even if you think the elders are just going to back the pastor and end of story, right? You're doing this for your sake. This is not for them. Although you're trying to do it in a way that opens the possibility of their redemption. And then the third thing you do is you start warning. If none of that works, then you start warning people that are in your sphere of influence about the danger of, of participating in that community. The last thing, and the hardest, the hardest that I know personally thing is to begin to pray God's blessing over the people who hurt you. Because it wasn't the church that hurt you, it was people who hurt you. And to, and to, and to name them before God, I've done this. And say, God, I pray that you bless them. And I pray you bless this church. And I pray that da, da, da. And, and you don't mean it. You don't mean it at all. And Jesus knows you don't mean it. And you're even saying, God, I don't mean this, but I want to pray. Uh, and after a while, I kid you not. And, and for some, it's, it's weeks. For some, it's months. A softening, a softening happens. To where you you don't become passive it's still sin you were still spiritually abused you haven't softened on that but you've softened on them and you'd be you'd actually be able to see them in an environment and not hate them you'd actually be able to see them in public and like just even you know give them a, a different gesture than the gesture you'd love to give them you know what i mean i mean the, so, <laughs> so maybe it's a peace sign instead of one less so thank you for clarifying <laughs> so so and then there's the untangling of what the abuse did to you and your view of the church and your view of god right so that's all back end like really hard stuff that i'm sorry you have to sit and sift and sort in now but in terms of how you call them out the 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 easiest thing to do is to do it publicly uh, and to name names and to absolutely and there's a time for that 
right? There, there's a time when, man, um, in the example we were talking about earlier, some people finally came forward and said, this is the abuse we're sitting under and we're just, and there's nothing happening. There's a time for that. But we don't lead with that, even though that's the most tempting thing. So on the one hand, it's approaching them, naming sin, and it's having a lot of guts to do that, bringing safe people in. Secondly, it's then, it's then saying, hey, there are other people that feel this way who's courageous enough to go in and have another meeting. Third thing is then you start warning people against participation in the community. But you're doing it now from a place where you can say with integrity, they have not listened. Whereas now, and I don't know the details, you just, I don't know that you could say that. So I'm sorry, so much of this is on you. And, and, and it's easy to be re-victimized, right? And that's why you have to have enough distance and enough stability and enough like Jesus sort of fortitude that you can do this from a position of, of grace and truth. Um, so, you know, it, it may be a year before you can do this, maybe two years before you can do this. But while you're waiting till you're strong enough to do this, the, the danger is gonna be you know, to just start naming and start, and then, and then you've kind of lost the ability to come in to them and open the door for their redemption and reconciliation. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, my friend. I get that. All right. Are we done? Okay. Put yeah. Put a fork in us. Yep. Oh, my goodness. This is, uh, this is a lot more tiring when you guys are in the room. If it's just Andy and I, you know, I just kind of drift off, but... Yeah. Um, he says so. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, you're such a stud, dude. All right. Um, so, um, as always, uh, okay, one little last thing. Okay. If people are still listening. I think so. <laughs> so, so, I left. I was in a season of huge disappointment. I left a church I thought I was going to be at for a long time, right after leaving two other ones. I was embarrassed, I was sad, I was depressed, and we left this church angry and hurt and, and, um, and sad, and um, I felt, I, and there was no, we had no plan B, you know, there was just no, like, we're not leaving to something, it was just like, no, nah, it was clearly time to go. And so, out of that, um, I had a conversation with Andy one day and was just like, hey, could you show me how to hit record on a computer? Because I think I want to, I got to do something. If it was only that. Right. <laughs> and so um, I would never have imagined over a year later that we would be doing things like this. And I count it a very deep honor to... Um, to have us play a part, however big or small, in um, your journey. And I would never believe that 60 people would show up or 70 people would show up at a live show. I never believe that, that hundreds of thousands of people would download or whatever it is. And uh, I just Almost want you to know. Almost half a million. That's, in, that's crazy. And that's, most of those are my mom, you know, because <laughs> I think she's still learning that you don't have to hit refresh every time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but um, it, I just, it's hard to put into words. I was driving over here tonight so excited to see who would come and, and still disbelieving that so many of you are so interested. And when we hear from you or we see you or we've had the potrishioners show up at our little church, 
it's just been deeply moving um, to be a part of something that I would never have, have dreamt of, you know. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, we continually hear stories of people. We got, <laughs> we had a guy from the Netherlands um, uh, compliment us, right? And like, hey. yes. It's Joanne's uh, brother. Yes, evidently. <laughs> and you're just like, that's how, how crazy is that, right? I mean, that's just amazing. So um, with that, as always, uh, Vox, what is it? VoxOC.com is yeah. the church. Vox Podcast is the podcast website. Patreon, if you're interested in, um, in uh, keeping Coors Light in business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's all I got. Andy, you want to add anything? Uh, no, I, I don't have anything to add. Really, so, I don't. Okay. Andy went to a hockey game um, uh, last week. A couple nights ago. A couple nights ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yep. how was that waste of money? Oh, it was fantastic. I brought my friend, uh, brought my friend Scott, yeah. and I gave him like the entire full experience. He got to see a few fights. The game ended in a shootout, winning shootout score. I mean, it was pretty much Mighty Ducks movie all over again. Okay. All right. So, so ladies and gentlemen. So it was a great time. All right. Um, I'm, I'm so glad I was not invited. To <laughs> Actually, he did give me a fantastic idea, and we need to talk about it, is that we need to do a podcast where you do everything I like, and vice versa, I have to do everything you like. Oh, my. So, really? I mean, that could be... I just kind of share the experience. Yeah. So I'm drinking Chemex. I know. IPA. That's my experience I'm wearing, I'm wearing, I'm wearing <laughs> kind of odd hats. Hawaiian t-shirts. Hawaiian t-shirts. <laughs> you're, you're in boxers and uh, flip-flops. Yeah. And, and drinking and sitting Coors around watching listening. Ohio State football. Yes. Listening to Pearl Jam. Yeah. Sermon prep. Yep. Yep. I love that. Yeah. All so, right. That's really funny. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. All right. That's, that's actually yeah, really that. funny. Um, yeah, that would be awful. So, um, <laughs> all right. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And may he, in these crazy, crazy days, may he give you peace. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.